This is the Nothing But Bucks podcast. Now, here's your host, TJ Reeves. Well, off of a Thanksgiving weekend where we do have a lot to be thankful for, and we got plenty to eat, got to be around the family, enjoy the games of uh, football and other sports on TV, maybe play a little backyard football, etc. We then traveled to Indianapolis, and unfortunately, the Buccaneers don't do nearly enough to win a game on the road that was very winnable, and that's going to kind of be a theme throughout this program. Welcome in. It is the post-Thanksgiving edition of Nothing But Bucks, our recap podcast that is here the day after each and every game, typically on Mondays, as is the case here after a Sunday defeat at the hands of the Indianapolis Colts 27-20. They beat the Buccaneers, and the Bucs have now dropped to four and seven on the season with six games remaining and running out of time. More on that in a little bit. Uh, frustrating day at Lucas Oil Stadium. Let's just be honest. Let's just be frank about it. It's a game that you could have won, a game that you probably should have won. With the plays that were there to be made, especially in the fourth quarter, the game right there for the taking. But once again, just like the game in Houston, just like the home game with Atlanta, you're you're against equal uh, talent level, equal competition. This is not the Eagles you're playing yesterday. This is not the 49ers. This is not the Detroit Lions even, who are three of the better teams in uh, in the NFC. Uh, and and again, uh, they're going to beat a lot of people, they're, uh, obviously. So when you lose to them, it's one thing. When you're losing to the Colts, when you're losing to the Texans, and I know both of those teams have winning records, when you're losing to the Falcons, who now lead the uh, the NFC South, that stings a little more because, again, you're on par with those teams. Those are teams you should be able to beat, and the Bucks had opportunities and should have been able to win this game in Indianapolis. They just did not. So anyway, thank you for finding us, however you've done so, on the Buccaneers mobile app from Buccaneers.com wherever you get podcasts, et cetera, for the recaps, you're going to hear the highlights uh, from Gene and Dave on the calls of Buccaneers radio. I'm down there on the sideline uh, as part of the radio broadcast. You'll hear interviews on our Hooters postgame show. I'll give you some insights, some analysis with what I saw at field level and much more. Again, we are here after each and every Buccaneer game. And there's been some questions about uh, whether or not we will be here later in the year on Christmas Day, on New Year's Day. Yep, absolutely. A recap podcast after the games with Jacksonville and New Orleans, respectively, at home. It will be Christmas Day. It will be New Year's Day, but we will have nothing but bucks uh, here on the program. All right, so uh, plenty to go over from this one. A lot of different plays, a lot of different subplots in a back-and-forth game. A game that the Buccaneers led early, a game that the Buccaneers were down by two touchdowns in the first half, and yet a game that you had a first and goal situation to be within three points in the final five minutes of the game, which is about all that you can ask for after being down by two touchdowns. But in the end, uh, it does not work out. So let's go back uh, to the beginning of this one on what was a damp, dreary welcome to the upper Midwest uh, Sunday in late November. Luckily, we were inside with the roof closed at Lucas Oil Stadium uh, for this matchup. A, a, a low 30-degree rainy day in Indy. But hey, climate controlled, 72 degrees inside on the uh, artificial turf. And so we were excited to see uh, what the Buccaneers could do off of a tough game in San Francisco. This was going to always be a tough ask. This stretch was going to be a tough ask playing San Francisco, Indianapolis, then Carolina at home, then back on the road to Atlanta, back on the road to Green Bay. Four road games in five. Not going to be easy. This was the second of the two straight road games to be played against the Colts, who had lost number one pick Anthony Richardson, the quarterback 
out of Florida to a shoulder injury back in early October. So now Gardner Minshew, the veteran, the former Jacksonville Jaguar, the former Philadelphia Eagle, he steps in uh, to take over as their starting quarterback. And the uh, Colts, again, on about par with the Buccaneers. Defense has struggled for a lot of this year. They've got some playmakers. Jonathan Taylor, obviously a quality running back. Michael Pittman at receiver. But this is this is not a team that's expected to contend for the Super Bowl out of the AFC. So you come into this game, you lose the toss, uh, the Colts elected defer, you take the ball, and you move right down the field. A well-executed opening drive. By the way, the Buccaneers have not had a touchdown on the opening drive this season, but they were on the verge of getting it here as they moved into scoring territory. Let's pick up the highlights here from Mean Gene on what looked like six for Mike Evans right away. Third down and long has been a difficult down and distance for the Bucs all season long. Good snap out of the gun, pass to the left side, caught ball by Mike Evans at the two, rolls into the end zone. Is it a touchdown, Mr. Ref? They say he's short by a yard. Evans climbed the ladder. He's six foot five. That pass was way overthrown, and he makes the snag in his tackle at the one. You know, I give you insight and analysis, and from down there at field level, I thought live Mike Evans got his uh, backside in. He had his hand down. He's on the Colts player. I thought he got in. It was a situation where Todd Bowles would have to challenge. You have a couple of things in play there. They don't call it a touchdown. And are you going to challenge or not? And philosophically, the Bucks have shown this the last three or four weeks. Run to the line of scrimmage, run a play, and get a, get a handoff more than likely to Rashad White before the same defense is ready and get in the end zone. That's exactly what they were trying to do. So you don't challenge in that instance. All right, and so then for the first of two times in this sequence, the Colts jump and they jump badly with a player jumping across the the line that blows the hurry up play up before it ever happens they blow it dead because he's across the line of scrimmage at the snap uh so that moves the ball about two feet up so rashad white uh, doesn't get the opportunity to score from there so now at the uh one foot line here here's uh what ends up happening down on the goal line uh, Baker Mayfield tries the quarterback sneak. We don't have the highlight of that uh, here. I thought, again, live, he had stretched across the goal line. There's bodies everywhere, but I've got the same angle as the down judge that's right in front of me. And I thought Baker Mayfield got across the goal line in the bodies. They come running in. They can't find him. And then suddenly he's rolling around on the ground, holding his high right ankle and, and shin area after being rolled up on, and that's the dangerous thing about quarterback sneaks. Quarterbacks will tell you that broken bones, broken leg, broken foot can easily happen with piles of bodies on you. That's why in all this talk about uh, the tush push or the brotherly shove that Philadelphia does, it's two things. It can be a dangerous play in the middle of the field, but it's also very tough to officiate, just like what this quarterback sneak was. So they say Mayfield not in. He's injured, so now you have Kyle Trask come in. He's got two by rule come in because Mayfield was helped off the field for at least a play. And then the Colts did the same thing again. I thought this was a miss by the officiating crew on Sunday where once again the Colts had not one but two guys jump at the Buccaneer offensive line on the hard count by Trask. Aaron Stinney moves. That's supposed to be a penalty on the defense. But instead it it backs the Bucs up five. And uh, the end result is you don't get anything on the next handoff to Rashad White. You then throw in the corner a difficult low percentage throw to Chris Godwin trying to make the catch. He couldn't get both feet down. And instead, you come away with this, a three instead of seven. 
Spot will be at the 11-yard line, a 21-yard field goal attempt. For Chase McLaughlin, who kicked here at Indy last year, he puts it through the uprights, and the Buccaneers strike early, 3 to nothing. Chase McLaughlin bangs it through for the 3-0 lead, so you still don't have a touchdown on the opening drive of the game, but still 15 plays, 72 yards. You did some things well. Uh, now you were concerned with Baker Mayfield over on the sideline in the blue tent. They tended to him for a while. The whole Bucks defensive possession, they were tending to him, taping the ankle, uh, checking it out that he began to test it, kind of jogging up and down the sidelines, planting, throwing. How would he do as he got back out there or not? After that injury, all right, so uh, here uh, the Colts began to move the ball down the field, but the Buccaneer defense early on in this game would show up, including a former number one pick right here. Some kind of a zone. The Buccaneer linebackers dropping Menchu three-step. Now rolling to a, under pressure. He is going to be sacked back at the 29-yard line. Sacked by Tyon Shalyenka. JTS gets the first quarterback sack of the game. Need more out of that guy. Joe Tryon Shoyinka gets the sack after not being on the stat sheet in San Francisco. He came around the end, got Gardner Minshew on the ground. That led to an Indianapolis field goal from Matt Gay, a former Buccaneer kicker. So uh, that keeps the game at 3-3. So now Baker Mayfield back in the game in this instance. Uh, after the injury, after the long Colts drive, they had some time to check him out again, tape the ankle. And this is here again when we talk about not making plays or making mistakes or fundamentally bad. This is part of that. These are good. These things are going to happen on occasion in, a, in an NFL game. But the more that you couple bad mistake with bad tackle, with false start, with drop the football, and it becomes a fourth, a fifth, a sixth play where you miss your assignment, you don't catch the ball, you don't make the tackle, you have a blown coverage. That's what added up on the Buccaneers again, including this pass from Baker Mayfield. A little play action, big dropping. Mayfield throws the ball up. It's intercepted at the 45-yard line. Out of bounds at the 40-yard line. Bucks with a miscue early in this game. That is the 12th interception by the Colts this season. Well, Mean Gene on the call there. And let's be honest, that's triple coverage. Baker's looking right at Mike Evans, and they got three people around him. There were times on Sunday where Baker did not look to another receiver, a tight end, another part of the field where somebody's open. There he tried to force it, and Ronnie Harrison, a former teammate of Baker's in Cleveland, former Alabama defensive back, he comes up with the interception. Uh, that sets Indianapolis up. Now they've got momentum. Now they've got the loud crowd, 70,000-plus in Lucas Oil Stadium, making noise on a Thanksgiving weekend Sunday. And their top back does his thing down around the goal line. They made no mistake here from point-blank range. 17-yard pickup, first down goal, Colts from the four. Inside handoff, Taylor to the one, to the goal line. Touchdown, Colts. That's just a lot of want-to. That's monster mode. And Jacob Taylor shows what he did in 2021 when he led the National Football League in yards from scrimmage over 2,000. Taylor has the touchdown, and the Colts take the lead, his third touchdown of the season. And this, again, would be a big part of the theme, the Colts taking advantage of the goal-to-go red zone opportunities with touchdowns. Jonathan Taylor gets that one for the 10-3 lead. And here again, Baker Mayfield uh, struggling to get anything going on offense uh, at this stage of the game behind 10 to three, including the pass rush getting after him uh, in this instance, as Gene called it. 
Six in the coverage. The snap to Mayfield. Outside pressure. Pass is batted down again. Incomplete pass. And on then Baker Mayfield is sacked. It was, he, I thought he got rid of the ball, but he held on to it yeah, I, I to avoid a fumble, and he goes down. I don't think he's completely healthy. I know he isn't. These the calls again from our Buccaneers radio coverage, 98 Rock, all of our affiliates, the Buccaneers mobile app. And Samson Ebukam would be a factor in this game, including late in this game, getting around uh, the end there for that sack. Some of that, though, honestly, is also on Mayfield holding the ball too long. I know Dave Moore was talking on our broadcast. You got to have the internal clock that at 1-1000, 2-1000 in the pocket, you've either got to move, and I know he's got a sprained ankle, or you got to throw the ball away. And because linemen are not going to be able to block those guys forever. Because people see sacks and they go, oh, offensive line didn't do their job. Well, sometimes that is the case. Somebody's beaten right away, pressures the quarterback, you have no hope on the pass play. But on a couple of those sacks on Sunday, honestly, if Baker Mayfield was sitting here talking to me on this podcast, he's an honest enough guy, he would give you the answer. He would say, I held the ball too long. I got to get rid of the ball. And again, I'm not apologizing or making excuses, but he was not as mobile on Sunday to be able to get out of the way. We saw him make a couple of plays later in the game, but some of this is, at least in the first half, he could not get out of the pocket and and get away, uh, or at least throw the ball away, like what happened in that instance. All right, so the Colts get the ball back. They go on another uh, drive after the punt. Uh, 10 plays, 62 yards. That leads to this and stretching the lead out. In motion, Pittman now circles back to the left. Now comes back to the right. Here's the snap. Minshew rolling that way, rolling that way, rolling that way. Call the one. He's going to be in the end zone. Touchdown, Minshew. Again, we talk missed assignments, and I'm going to name the name. Devin White is there to make the play at the two-yard line and flies right by Gardner Minshew and doesn't make the tackle. And it's just, it's been too many times with him in particular where he's in position and doesn't make the play or he doesn't get over into position to make the play. And Minshew is able to get a touchdown. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. If he makes the tackle there, might they still have gotten a touchdown on the next play? Perhaps they would have. But you got to make that stop. You don't. Minshew gets in. It's a touchdown. It's a 17-3 game uh, at this stage. So the Bucs needed some kind of momentum uh, here late in the first half on the road at Indy, down by two touchdowns. They're still fighting this team. There are still talented players on this team. And finally, you pressure Minshew into making a mistake here late in the first half. Minshew, they need to reach the 18-yard line. The snap good. Minshew looking fast the ball on their side. It is almost picked off. It is. It's intercepted. intercepted at the 18-yard line. It is Carlson Davis. He caught the ball and fell to his knees and cradled that football right down below us. And the Buccaneers come up with a big play defensively. Carlton Davis's first interception of the season comes at an opportune time to flip the field, flip the momentum. And now you know what you need to do. You need to get in the end zone in this instance. And it looked like the Bucs had gotten in the end zone. This play was right in front of me, uh, in front of the Buccaneer bench and down the sideline on the far side of the field from the TV coverage as Baker Mayfield threw it up for grabs right here on this play. Tight end, Baker Mayfield looking toward the end. He's going to run toward it right though, toward the end zone. That's caught ball. Caught ball to the pylon. Durham with a catch. Payne Durham, is he in, Mr. Ref? Apparently not. Just short at the pylon. Yeah, the rookie Payne Durham made a great play. The tight end to take it away from the smaller defender, go up high and make the catch. And I thought live he got in. I've seen a couple of replays. And again, this was not even 
the A crew, you know, the B crew, the C crew for CBS. It's down the road um, for CBS with Spiro Didis and Adam Archuleta calling the game. But from a production standpoint, they didn't have a good look at the goal line. And by the way, while we're here on nothing but bucks on Durham not getting in on this play, uh, I gotta I gotta say to the NFL as a multi-billion dollar operation, for all of their TV broadcasts, they should have the cart with the camera at every game shooting right down the goal line just for plays like this one side or the other this is 2023 with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of profit and television production it should be the standing policy fox cbs for all of your games that you're doing on sunday you have a cart there with the two cameras that you see at every game virtually certainly the higher-end games, it's got to be there. Because on that play, uh, Payne Durham is stretching that ball out right in front of me, and it is bang-bang on whether his shin is on the ground or not. You had difficulty, obviously, in the command center with seeing a good replay. I mean, CBS, I've watched it. CBS is showing a low level from the back of the end zone replay that gives you nothing on where is the ball as he's stretching it out parallel to the ground, and is it across the goal line? He did slam it down on the goal line. And you say, well, why why am I belaboring this? Why is it a big deal? Look what happened at the beginning of the game when you didn't get the Mike Evans call, and that looked like a touchdown. You could have maybe challenged that. The same thing here where you didn't have a clear enough replay, and again, I come back to that should be mandatory. Uh, Not unlike the National Hockey League has a camera up above the goal at, at every NHL venue at both ends of the ice, for goal or no goal, they have a stationary camera in every arena at both ends of the ice. It should be mandatory from the NFL to the television networks. You're going to have a cart with a camera shooting right down the goal line. And and by the way, uh, if that camera's not in position yet, we're going to hold play until that camera's in position so that somebody on a replay can assist and assist the officials on whether or not it is a touchdown and a, and a coach can decide challenge or not if they don't call it a touchdown. Anyway, it worked out for the Buccaneers. In fact, it worked out quickly for the Buccaneers right after that. Here's the call as the Bucks are in the end zone for the first time of the day. Rashad White on his right hip, good snap. Looks to his left, looking throws toward the end zone. Wide open, Mike Evans has his eighth touchdown of the season. Touchdown, Tampa Bay. Flag thrown in the end zone. Is it going to be on the defense? I think it will be. And that touchdown should stand. Mike Evans, my goodness, he was all by himself. Mike Evans with the touchdown catch, his 89th of his career. Officially a one-yard score wide open on the uh, on the post to the outside. Uh, the defenders got confused in the secondary, and bang, bang, you're really right back in the game. Uh, with the Davis interception, you get the end zone. I get to play in the end zone to Mike Evans, and it's now a 17-10 game. So uh, as things continued here, the the Colts got a drive at the end of the first half. Matt Gay, the former Buccaneer kicker, tried a 58-yard field goal that hit the upright. So uh, the end result there is they get no points, although they did get the ball to start the second half. They did drive again out of the locker room. 11 plays, 57 yards. Buccaneer defense played bend but don't break. Gay kicked a field goal to make the game 20-10. So now we pick back up here in the highlights, and for the Buccaneers, uh, you're able to finally make something happen. Late third quarter and into the fourth quarter, you go on a nine-play, 60-yard drive. You find Kate Otten with a completion. Uh, You get another completion uh, over the middle. 
uh, as well for another first down. And now you go up top here again from Baker Mayfield. Moving right to left. In motion, tight end Otten. Play action fake, bootleg roll by close toward the end zone. Receiver over. Go! Couch touchdown! Mike Evans has his second of the game. What a throw by, by Baker Mayfield. How about Mike Evans, the route he ran? It's officially 23 yards for Mike Evans' 90th touchdown. Uh, now a uh, receiving touchdown, 91 of them overall. He has one other touchdown where he recovered a fumble in the end zone in a game in 2018. So Mike's touchdown total keeps ticking up and up and up towards 100. It's incredible to contemplate that a Buccaneer could reach 100 career touchdowns. Uh, Again, I've been in and around this team and in the market for 40 years, going back to my teenage days as a fan before working in the media. I didn't think you'd ever see a Buccaneer as bad as the Bucs were in the 80s and the 90s to ever get to 50 touchdowns in their career. Mike's got 91 of them now, 90 receiving touchdowns. And let me say this, too, at this stage here on Nothing But Bucks. I keep hearing comparisons to other receivers, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know, Chris Berman's kind of playfully talking about Keenan Allen, who wears the same number for the Chargers. Keenan Allen is not in Mike Evans' league. Keenan Allen doesn't have nine consecutive, about to be ten consecutive, thousand-yard seasons. Keenan Allen hasn't done anything in the postseason in his career that equates to what Mike Evans has done over and over again in these postseason games. Touchdown scored, the bigger catcher, the bigger catches, uh, please. Uh, and Evans just comp- continues to stockpile uh, the, the accolades, the touchdowns, the yards. That, it, to me, Keenan Allen's a good receiver. He's not Mike Evans. Uh, and Mike, again, is on the verge of 10 consecutive 10,000-yard or 10 consecutive 1,000-yard seasons, over 10,000 yards, obviously, in his career. The, old, the only guy in the NFL's history with 11 straight 1,000-yard seasons is Jerry Rice. But Jerry didn't do it at the beginning of his career. Mike's going to be the only other guy with double figures 10 in a row when he gets it later in the year. Uh, so again, he gets the second touchdown of the game. You're right back in the game now at this stage at 20 to 17. But as we go back to the highlights here, once again, give credit to the Indianapolis Colts. They're able to drive. Uh, they're able to mix the pass. Uh, you, you get the fourth down play to Mo Ali Cox. Again, we talk about missed assignments. Mo Ali Cox basically hasn't been in the game for much of the game. Uh, they put him in the game as like an extra tight end. Uh, that's in there, and the Bucks don't account for him. There's two guys that clearly are in the defensive backfield that should watch for somebody sneaking out, and they both crash to the line of scrimmage and let Mo Ali Cox run right by him. K- K.J. Britt is one of those guys that crashed up, and I think D. Delaney was another one. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a play that goes for, what, 25-plus yards on fourth down. The Colts were very good on fourth down. Throughout the day, getting people open and making plays, credit them, credit their plan. It eventually leads to this, which is a killer moment after the fourth down conversion, and we're getting late in the game where they score again. On his hip, Taylor gets the handoff, runs to his right, spun around, but he spins into the end zone. Touchdown, Indianapolis Colts. They lead 26-17. So you don't get the stop. It's now 27-17. You have some opportunity because you're getting the ball here. You have all your timeouts left, the two-minute warning left. You got to make something happen. And finally, the Buccaneer run game. Rashad White ran hard, had some lanes to run through, and finally broke one here. 
Bucks need to reach. Here's a high snap of the gun. Handle ball outside the numbers. Goes Rashad White to the 40, 45 to the 50, to the 45 to the 40. He's down the sideline and knocked out of bounds at the 28-yard line of Indianapolis. Rodney wow. Thomas chased him down. Longest gain of the day by the Buccaneers. You just heard the longest run of the season for a Buccaneer. Rashad White's longest run of the year. Puts him at 100 yards on just 15 carries for this game. And now you're in business because now you're moving things uh, down inside the 20. Uh, you get a pass to Mike Evans down to the 6. You've got first and goal at the 6. But unfortunately, a sack right away on first down of Baker Mayfield. Again, that's one of those where you got to have the internal clock. Protect the field position. You're at the six-yard line. He takes a seven-yard loss. I realize you will take his gutsiness, him running. He ran a third and long yesterday brilliantly and got the first down. But on some of this, the pocket awareness, and I know he's got the beat-up ankle, but he had made some plays running uh, by this point in the game. Get rid of the ball. Make you know, make a move in the pocket. Dance around in the pocket. Get rid of the ball. With the internal clock again going 1-1000, 2-1000. If a receiver's not open, throw it away on first down. The seven-yard loss becomes important. you got a completion to K. Dotton to get a few yards back. And then you'll hear Baker talk about this in a few moments uh, on, the, uh, on the program. I've now had a chance to watch this play. I don't think it was a straight quarterback draw. I think it was read the defense, and if it opens up, take off. He thought it had opened up on the third down play. It did not open up. It counts as another sack. We don't have the highlight here. So the end result is you have to kick a field goal. You would have loved a touchdown, and you would have loved a touchdown right away. You were outside of five and a half minutes after the Rashad White run. You had gotten inside of goal to go with five and a half minutes to go, and timeouts left. Uh, All your timeouts left, but the end result is a field goal instead. And so the game is 27-20, and the bottom line is the uh, the, the Colts uh, had done enough at this point. You were going to have to get the ball back. They, that stopped. The difference on Sunday is when the Colts got in the red zone, especially in the second half, bang, bang with touchdowns. The Bucks kicked that field goal, and now instead in the final four minutes of only needing a field goal, you now needed a touchdown. So you had to get the ball back. And uh, here, let's shout out on the highlights for the first-round pick out of Pitt. Kalijah Kansi, who comes through here. Takes a high snap, helmet high, looks upfield under pressure. He's going to be sacked at the 12-yard line. That is the Buccaneers' Kansi. second sack of the game. Kalijah Kansi. Kalijah Kansi, the rookie out of Pitt, gets the quarterback sack. And that time, Minshew did not escape. Kansi makes that play. And again, that is now his fourth sack on the season. Remember, he missed several games with the calf injury early on in the year uh but the end result not to be overly critical but when you talk about plays being made plays not being made that's that's two official sacks for the bucks they had some other tackles for loss the colts would end up with six sacks in this game including this killer that's about to come up here so that's a big difference on plays the other team is making that you are not making they were few and far between on the big plays on defense, especially in the second half of the game. So that would lead to the end sequence. You force the punt, you get the ball back, you move out of your own end. And this was a key moment right before the two-minute warning. The Bucks are trying to hurry with all their timeouts left and run a couple of plays before the two-minute warning. And the clock is rolling and you fire a pass to Chris Godwin and there's a flag on the field. And I'm gonna name the name, Rashad White is moving around at the staff on a play that's not even coming to him, by the way, in the hurry up. 
you can't have this. It's just it's too many mistakes. Uh, again, we talk about leaving Mo Ali Cox alone on a fourth down play. We talk about missed tackles with guys in the open field. Here you get a false start penalty that kills what would have been a first down play. It now makes it second and long. And then right out of the timeout here, right out of the two-minute warning, here's what ends up happening. Shotgun look, Baker Mayfield, low snap, third down, and four under pressure. He will go to fumble the ball. Is it recovered by Baker Mayfield? Did he recover? No, the Colts have come up with it. Oh, my goodness, step on my toe. That name again, Samson Ebukam, as he is able to step up and get the sack. Uh, and the sack fumble, uh, again, uh, Mayfield under duress right away, holding the ball a little bit, looking downfield. Gets sacked, the ball is fumbled, the Colts fall on it and basically run the clock out. I know the Bucks had three timeouts left, but they got one first down and then they're able to kneel on the ball. And that is it for a 27-20 defeat in what was a very winnable game on Sunday, but too many mistakes. Two turnovers for the Buccaneers. One for the Colts. Six sacks, as I said a few minutes ago, for the Colts. Two for the Bucs. Um, I, I don't in the red zone, three red zone touchdowns for the Colts, just two for the Buccaneers. That adds up. It, it all adds up to a win for Indianapolis that improves them to six and five. That's three straight wins for them. That is now six losses in seven games for your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So let's go inside the locker room on our Hooters postgame show. Valiant uh, is the way I would describe Baker Mayfield playing with the injured ankle with the bad wheel. Bucks moved the ball. Bucks got some points, but they didn't do enough. Here were the quarterback's comments immediately after it was over with to us. Let's start with a positive. You're able to get back in the game in the fourth quarter with a couple of scores. What were you doing well that was beginning to click there? Um, we were running the ball well. Um, just offensively, we were staying in rhythm uh, on that those few series that we had it going on. Um, much like the first drive, uh, just kind of had whatever we wanted out there. Um, didn't hurt ourselves, but you know, flip side of that, that's ultimately the reason why we weren't consistent all day. Is we keep hurting ourselves. Um, it sucks. Talk to me about the Evans touchdown. You got him wide open on that play that helped uh, spark part of the comeback. Um, yeah, we we had run a few just quick out routes with um, pretty much everybody, honestly, and then. Gave the same look, corner bit down on it, and uh, Mike just has good leverage on it just already. So, um, yeah, it just a, a good play call by Dave right there. And, you know, unfortunately, we, uh, we're playing from behind. On the third down play, third and goal with the six, was that where you saw something? Were you, were you on a design run or trying to make something happen there before the field goal? Uh, we were expecting a different pressure look. They had showed it earlier on in the game. Um, wound up giving us a just four-man rush and looped it. So... Uh, there, there was, you know, part in the Red Sea right there in the middle. Took off a little bit, but they, they had a good play on. Um, yeah, just one of those that they, they had us that time. How much do you credit the Colts here with the six sacks and they get the takeaway at the end? Yeah, I mean, they, they played well. Um, they played physical. They capitalized on our mistakes. Um, yeah, hats off to them, but, but we just we have to be better. And again, for all of the problems, you had the ball with five and a half minutes left, first and goal at the six-yard line. But he takes the sack. Uh, then uh, on third and long, he takes another sack. You have to kick a field goal. Uh, again, you can make the argument you shouldn't have been in that position, but you had an opportunity to be right in the game, just like San Francisco last week. You can get a touchdown in the San Francisco game, and you still got like four minutes left in a one-score game. Here you'd have had over five minutes left with all your timeouts to make something happen in a field goal game. 
but you don't get in the end zone. And I know Baker's frustrated and we'll see how that ankle ends up doing. I'm sure there's some swelling and after the game and there's going to be an MRI on his ankle. Will we see Kyle Trask coming up? Uh, the former second round pick out of the University of Florida saw him briefly on Sunday. We have been saying consistently down the stretch of the season, there's two different uh, scenarios. One would be if you're out of it, uh, which you know, you're not contemplating being out of it right now. You're still in the division race. You'd play Kyle Trask, but it may be because of injury. You got to stay ready if you're Kyle Trask. I saw him a couple of different times in the second half, warming up, getting loose, warming his arm up, helmet on, jogging some, because he knew at any second here, if that ankle is re-aggravated, I'm back in the game, in a winnable game. So Trask has obviously got to be ready. Uh, all right, let's continue on our Hooters postgame show. And here was Rashad White off his 100-yard day about what worked well offensively and what does need to be better. This was a tough football game. You had chances. How did you get back in the game, especially in the fourth quarter, putting the 10 points on the board to give yourself a chance? Um, by just doing little things, I mean, staying together, um, you know, coming together. Uh, trying to play above the sticks uh, a lot on the offense though later in the second half we got behind the sticks a lot but we just rallied behind each other and made the plays on fourth down third and long and things like that you got free again the game was 27 17 you got free on what i believe was a 31 yard run out to the right describe what you did and what you saw on that play um just they called the play it was third and two my mindset was to um, get the first down. Uh, the defense knew that, so they all like crashed down. And um, Stinney made a good block. It was a pull play. Stinney made a good block, and that backer play, he kicked out the end, and I just bounced it. They were able to make some plays. I know that when you guys look back on this, there were opportunities that were left out there today, and that's that's got to get corrected down the stretch here, right? Uh, I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, we got six guaranteed games left. Um, we still have a great opportunity, um, yeah, to, to win a division, but uh, we need to win more than just a division in our in our mind and to build confidence and things like that. A couple of notes for White. That is his second 100-yard game of his career. He had 105 yards in the game in Germany. Last year, So it's his best performance ever in the NFL on this continent in North America with his 100-yard rushing day. Also, his 6.7 yards per carry, 15 attempts, <clears throat> and a, and a 6.7-yard per carry average is the best of any game that he's had with at least 10 touches. It's the best for any Buccaneer running back going back to Ronald Jones uh, in 2021 against the Atlanta Falcons, who had 6.5 yards per carry. So again, you see his uh, burst, his, his big play capability. As he got out the gate uh, on that 38-yard run, but he had two or three other runs that were good as well. The patience, acceleration, had some holes to run through. Yes, Indianapolis's run defense has not been good, but they took advantage of it. And uh, and White also uh, did well in uh, in catches out of the backfield once again in this game. Not not the explosive play maybe that you were looking for. He did have two catches, 10 yards in the game. So overall from scrimmage, 110 yards. By the way, that's the sixth time he's had 75 yards or more from scrimmage. That is the second most uh, only behind Christian McCaffrey, who has 10 games of 75 yards or more from scrimmage. So Rashad has been productive, even though he didn't get in the end zone there. But uh, he's not he's not at fault. He made some plays. I, I know he had the uh, the the false start of the illegal shift penalty before the timeout. Again, that's a mental thing where you've got to correct those kind of mistakes. But White played hard and played well for a lot of this game. you got to give him a lot of credit. All right, so when it was over, uh, Coach Todd Bowles joined us on our Hooters postgame show. Here were his immediate comments after the 27-20 defeat. 
Let's begin on a positive note, which is your team getting back in the second half. What were you doing well in order to create a chance to maybe come back and get this game tied? So we were moving the ball well, especially on the ground. So that was a big deal, and we got off the field a few times on defense. Uh, Mike Evans ends up being wide open for a that closed you uh, at that point within 2017. He did, and what Baker did find him? Uh, he ran a seven route or something we saw on film. Dave did a good job making the call, and Mike, Mike can get open one on one against anybody. You were able to, as you mentioned, get a stop, and then you got a big run play from Rashad White. You eventually end up down inside the 10-yard line. They got a sack on Baker Mayfield. Then on the third down play, he was just saying to us, we didn't get the look we thought, and you just got to credit the Colts there on that settle for three. But again, from what you recall, about that sequence there where you had a goal-to-go opportunity. Well, it was exactly like you said. We were looking for a certain look. We got another look. Um, we settled for three. Uh, we were like that in the third quarter. We had one of them to start the game, so we we got to start punching the ball in. Ultimately, you did get the stop. You get the ball back outside the two-minute warning, but they come up with the sack fumble. That was one of six sacks on the day. What did they do well with the rush, especially with the game on the line in the fourth quarter? Well, the last play was a good rush by the guy. I got to see what happened on the play. The other six, I got the other five, I got to really look at, and whether they were blitzing or whether they were four-man, but we can't give up six sacks and get our quarterback hit like that. How much do you credit Jonathan Taylor and their run game? Because they were able to run it successfully. He got in the end zone twice. I know you've not seen coaches tape, but what about Taylor and what he was able to do to help them win? Well, we knew he was a great back going in, and we tried to limit him as best we can. I thought we, we and he's already a great back. I thought we aided him in some of those runs and the way we fit some plays. I know you have six games remaining. You get to come back home next weekend. What has to be better moving forward to get back in the win column? No, Simon football. We got to cut out the mistakes. You know, we got to cut out the mistakes for us to win ball games. We know what to do. We work hard. We know how to do it. The team understands that we got to play assignment football and we got to execute on both sides. You got to make plays to win games in this business. Not good enough. Again, the Colts got in the red zone four times. They scored all four times, three of them touchdowns, the two touchdowns in the second half, the difference. Uh, in the game, or the, the one touchdown, excuse me, in the second half, really the difference in the game. When they got there in goal-to-go situations, they kept getting seven points. A couple of other accolades coming out of this game. Mike Evans now with nine receiving touchdowns on the season. Trails only Tyreek Hill going into the late Sunday action, who has 10 on the year. In terms of multi-receiving games, again, going into the late action, among active players, Devontae Adams has 22 multi-touchdown games in his career. Mike Evans is second among the active players with 19 of them in his career. Uh, Kalijah Kansi, again, uh, gets the sack. He's got four sacks now. He's got eight tackles for loss. The eight tackles for loss is the most among any rookie going into the late action Sunday afternoon. So, again, and he missed a lot of action, missed, what, like four games at the beginning of the year with the calf injury. So, Kalijah Kansi obviously coming on. There are some bright spots uh, for this team right now. Uh, again, uh, Chase McLaughlin would be another one with those two uh, made field goals. He's now 19 of 29 uh, on the season. Uh, Jake Camarda also has been tremendous, averaged 52 yards per punt on uh, on Sunday. Uh, which is uh, right now his 50-yard average is good for sixth in the NFL. So there's there are some positives on this team, just not nearly enough. Again, missed assignments, missed tackles, 
Trey Palmer, we didn't have it in the highlights, drops a ball uh, that would have been a big third down play in the third quarter on a slant pass that he might have scored on. He would have gotten 20 or 30 yards on. Plays that were there to be made. The fourth down play, you can't, again, I keep stressing this, you can't let Mo Cox run right by two guys. Missed assignments. Blown plays. Too many of them that are adding up uh, for the Buccaneers for right now. All right, so what does that mean? What that means for this week is that you now play the Carolina Panthers. Carolina, a loser against the Tennessee Titans. They are the worst team in the NFL by record and otherwise at 1-10. This is beyond a winnable game. This is a game you absolutely should win at home, and you've got to take advantage of that. You've got to play solid football, smart football, get the victory, get some get some confidence back, get to 5-7. and seven. Because at 5-7 five and seven with five games to go, you are still in the hunt. Atlanta defeating New Orleans yesterday keeps those teams both at five and seven. It's Atlanta's fifth win. It drops New Orleans to five wins. At worst, next Sunday, you're still going to be a game behind Atlanta, but then playing them the following week. Here's the other thing that you've got to look at. Just win a game, first of all. All right, the rest of the stuff, the talk about the playoffs, et cetera, just win the game. You can talk about the playoffs next Sunday night because a fifth win has you in the hunt. But this is the this is the mindset. This is the mentality. You've got to get to the New Orleans game with a seventh victory. You want to be going into that New Orleans game with as many victories as possible. I'd love for the Buccaneers to win all of them and be sitting there in the New Orleans game with eight wins. But if you can get three more wins out of the next four games played, the four games are Carolina at home, Atlanta on the road, at Green Bay and Christmas Eve at home with Jacksonville. I know Jacksonville's good, but you get them at home. Green Bay's going to be tough on the road. If you can get to the seventh win before the New Orleans game, you're in prime position to potentially win the South because winning that eighth game head-to-head with New Orleans would give you the head-to-head tiebreaker over them. And I don't know that the Atlanta Falcons are going to get to eight wins, particularly uh, coming up here when you've got a head-to-head chance uh, against them we'll see what happens with that but can they get to eight wins can the new orleans saints get beyond eight wins i'm looking here for the uh remaining falcons schedule the falcons will play the jets very winnable game at new york for them then they play the bucks then they play the panthers all right so more than likely the falcons are at seven wins more than likely and that depends on whether the bucks can get the win or not now if the bucks don't get the win in atlanta you're in trouble for the division Head-to-head, you need that Atlanta win. You need to beat Carolina first, beat Atlanta for that head-to-head win because, in this case, Atlanta right now has the uh, head-to-head tiebreaker on division record. They're 3-0. and The Bucs have a loss in the division of the Falcons. You lose to Atlanta, they now have the head-to-head tiebreaker with you with two wins. I know I'm going over playoff scenarios, but, folks, if you take care of business and beat Carolina, you're alive for the playoffs. If you get any help from the hapless Jets beating the Falcons, then you're tied with Atlanta going into that game the following week. So let's see. Let's see what it looks like for the stretch run. But again, get to the seventh win off the Jacksonville game by playing the Saints, where the Saints' victory is a chance at an eighth win and may put you in position to control your own destiny for the final game of the year against Awful Carolina to win the NFC South on tiebreakers or outright with nine wins. That's what's looming. This is what happened a year ago, by the way, for this team, was winning the late games uh, in the year, the the heroic comeback 
against the Rams, followed later by a heroic comeback against uh, the New Orleans Saints on Monday Night Football. Those two wins set you up for the end of the year to beat the Carolina Panthers, get the eighth win, and have all the tiebreakers. You're in a similar spot at this stage right now. Beat Carolina this week, you have five wins. You're in position to get to the Saints game in week 17, game 16, win an eighth game, and maybe be in a tie for the division lead. It could happen. I'm just looking, too, for New Orleans's uh, finish to the schedule as well. They'll play the Lions. Good luck at home this week. And the Lions angry with extra days to prepare off the Thanksgiving loss. Good luck for that. So the, the the Saints with five wins likely would stay at five wins. They then get to play lowly Carolina the following week after we play the Panthers. That's probably a win. Then the Saints at the Rams, who are surging, who are in the wild card hunt, who are still trying to hang in with the 49ers for the division race. The Rams won again on Sunday. So the 49ers have to play the Giants at home and then at the Rams before playing the Buccaneers. I mean, they're still... Some games where they could take losses, and we'll see. Who can get to nine? Eight may be enough, like Dick Van Patten in the sitcom of the late 70s, early 80s. I know I'm talking over the head of the under-30 crowd and the Gen Zers, but we shall see. The only thing you can, can, do, can do and control is go beat the Carolina Panthers. Bryce Young, the rookie quarterback, has by and large been awful. Uh, that team is devoid of talent on both sides of the ball. They are very beatable. You've got to come in and take care of business. Do not turn the ball over. Cut down on the mistakes and the missed assignments. Do what you did in the Tennessee game. Play good on defense. Play smart on offense. Touchdowns in the red zone and get out of there with a win and be talking about being 5-7 and seven this time next week because you are in the hunt. Just like a year ago, you were in the hunt getting the fourth or fifth win in early December to put you in position in early January to get the seventh, eighth win that might be all you need to end up winning this division. Let's see what happens as it all unfolds. All right, time change for the game and get ready for this with games being flexed and moved, moved to later, moved to earlier, et cetera. We have a flex time change that the Carolina game is now a four Eastern time game. CBS will show it on TV, the league moving the Houston-Denver game to 1 o'clock. They moved it up sooner because of those teams more playoff-relevant head-to-head uh, in the AFC. And by, and by the way, the Denver Broncos are a great example. The Broncos began the year 1-5, and five, and now they have won five games in a row with Sean Payton, with Russell Wilson, and so you can put things together. The Buccaneers have now struggled and lost six of seven games. You can't have a win streak without winning the first one. Put something together and beat Carolina. Get some mojo back. Get some confidence back. And then let's see what happens for the stretch run where it's right in front of you with Atlanta at Atlanta the following week to get a head-to-head win. But it starts with the Carolina game this week. Again, we'll be on the air at 3 p.m. for the new start time, 4 o'clock. Bucks and the 1-10 Panthers coming in. Must win. Gotta have it on Sunday. We look forward to calling it. Again, hang in there, everybody. There's still football to be played. There's still potentially meaningful football in late December and early January. If you get a couple of victories, you're going to be right there in the division race. It starts with Sunday and the Panthers. My thanks to Derek DeBose helping with the highlights. 
Hi, everybody at iHeartMedia. Uh, Jeff Ryan's our director of broadcasting. I'm merely TJ Reeves. Make sure that you find us on this recap podcast the day after Buccaneer Games. We'll be back next Monday to recap, hopefully, a big Buccaneer win, an impressive win. Take a win of any kind against Carolina. We'll be here to recap it on the Buccaneers mobile app, wherever you get podcasts, etc. It is nothing but Bucks.